power of words. The power of words. There's a section in James which talks about the power of words. I was reminded this week when I saw something on Sidroth of a young man that was not even 30 years old when he experienced this. He was hijacked in America in the southern state, I think it was um, uh, either in southern Texas or the state next to it called New Mexico. He was hijacked in his vehicle and a man got into his, uh, his car and pointed a gun at him, directed him to go out of the city into a woodlands and he wanted to take his car but he wanted to get rid of the evidence so he took him for a walk out of the car into the woods and then stood there and pointed the gun at him. The young man was Terry Mize. Obviously Terry Mize is still alive because he was on TV this week. <laughs> he pointed the gun at him and Terry just felt these words rise up within him. He said, you cannot shoot me. I'm a son of God. Bam, bam, bam. And Terry stood there looking at him and looked down and saw a bullet on the ground. So did the shooter. Looked down and saw a bullet on the ground. Didn't know what to do. They had a conversation. <laughs> and eventually he asked Terry to take his keys, but then he turned back again and said, take your clothes off. And he took his clothes except for his underwear. And he walked back to the car. And Terry's thinking, what am I to do now? This guy, man, God, he can't kill me. He can't take my clothes, surely. <laughs> if he can't shoot me, he's definitely not going to take my clothes. So Terry shouted to him, stop in the name of Jesus. The guy stopped in his tracks and turned around. He said, you can't take my clothes and you can't take my car. He came back up with the gun. But he knew that it, it didn't work and it wouldn't work. <laughs> so Terry had a conversation with him and agreed that he would go and he would take him and drop him off at his house, but first he's got to go to Terry's house. Sid said to him, the guy's got a gun. You want to get him in your car again? You want to take him to your house? You want to take him home to his house? Terry said, the Lord gave me a ministry to bless people, not to curse people. Let's read from James. It's like my cell phone in certain signals. <laughs> it is on, isn't it? <laughs> hey? Okay, it's just a delay. Will you turn it on to the next slide, please, Shane? There we go. So, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The reason that I use slides is that not all of us have got a cell phone where we can check the scriptures or have got a memory to remember the scriptures, but the advantages that people that see on the, on the uh, screen while I'm talking, they can get more out of it than just talking to my boring voice. Okay, so it says here, the tongue is set in our members that it defiles the whole body and it sets on fire the course of nature 
and it is set on fire by hell. Sounds like Twitter. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God, and with it we curse men who've been made in the image of God, the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. So I want to talk about restoring the blessing. Let's see what this scripture says. For we all stumble in many things. If any does, does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is not as scared as pastors and teachers are to use the word perfect when he talks about men. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit is not as scared to use the word perfect in talking about believers as some pastors and teachers are. Let me just leave that there. Let's go on. It says what, what perfect means is you're whole, you're complete, and you're mature. This, there is a doctrine, which is the seventh foundation doctrine of Hebrews 6, going on into perfection. All right? That's where you are. You're on a path, and if you respond to the revelation of God and his truth that he's given to you now, and your conscience is clear before God, he looks at you and he says, this person's growing in perfection. Let's move on. Verse 3, indeed we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look at ships. <laughs> Although they're so large and driven by fierce winds, they turn by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest, a great a forest, a little fire can burn down. <laughs> the tongue speaks blessing and cursing. The, uh, Solomon in Proverbs writes uh, that the tongue has the power of life or death. But I say to you, Bless those who curse you. I can't understand why this is done like that. All right? Okay. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Whose words are those? The words of Jesus. That's why James is echoing those words. The same tongue we bless our God and we also curse men who are made in the image of God. This ought not to be so. He's agreeing with Jesus. And then he says that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. And then Jesus even uses the words. We've gone backwards. I think we're going all the way backwards. There we go. Then he says, Jesus says, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. God wants kids that look like him. And I don't believe he's postponing it till the rapture. Okay, so we look at this. 
Therefore you shall be perfect. The word bless and the word curse. Bless means to speak well of, to praise, to bless abundantly, to speak a, benedic a benediction, speak good things over people. That means uh, that's what blessing is. To curse means to revile, to denounce, to condemn, to doom. I don't use words like that, but sometimes I think them when I'm driving in the traffic. <laughs> Ask my conscience that sits on the left hand of my car when I'm driving. <laughs> She's sitting over there right now. <laughs> the word that James uses is, no man can tame the tongue. I want to tell you the Holy Spirit can. Jesus himself said, these signs shall follow those who believe they shall cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. And you Pentecostal-minded, charismatic-minded people, don't just limit that to a heavenly language God gives you. You will speak new words of blessing, not just words of cursing. <laughs> and there's a wonderful promise that that promise is not just for you and me. Peter says, not just for those in those days, Peter says it's for you and me. He says this is for you and your children and to as many that the Lord our God shall call. Who feels that the Lord has brought you into his kingdom and into his family? And the way that he's done it is he's called you with the gospel. This promise is for you as well as for me, as well as for the apostles in those days. How does it happen? It happens where the Holy Spirit becomes a fire in your heart that changes your stony heart into a soft heart. Thanks for the worship this morning, guys. I mean, it's like just about everything from Errol, who this morning, Errol, it was really a hard act to follow, the way that you introduced us to the, to the worship this morning. Fantastic, brother. That the way that he ministered to us and lifted our expectation and lifted our faith and our praise. But what God has done, done is he puts a fire in Errol's heart. He puts a fire in our heart. He puts a fire in your heart. And there's something that comes out of you, like words that you say, where did those come from? It comes out of a heart of love. Because the Holy Spirit sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts. Uh, and it changes the way we see people and circumstances and situations. All right? Um, Psalm 45 uh, is the, uh, King James, the New King James Version there. My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. I love that phrase. What I want to talk to you about is how the Holy Spirit can give you heavenly words to speak. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Aren't I glad I've got notes here? <laughs> oh, hallelujah. The power of heavenly words. When you receive the Holy Spirit, one of the signs of having the Holy Spirit in your life is that he gives you a heavenly language. That heavenly language is not by accident. Something you can't learn, but when it's inspired by the Holy Spirit with that fire in your heart and you speak in tune with what your spirit is feeling, the words that you speak when you pray, the words that you speak in that tongue or that new language 
are words that speak mysteries to God. There's five things that that heavenly language can do in your life as the Holy Spirit retrains and retains your tongue. The first is, when you speak in that tongue, you speak mysteries to God. That means the devil cannot understand the words that you're speaking. But you speak directly to the Father from your heart to his heart. The second is, when you speak in that tongue, it builds up your spirit. It makes your spirit within you strong. When you're facing situations that you don't want to face, that you fear facing, that you feel you're inferior to it, you feel that you can't go through this. When you're in a situation that's facing you like that, you speak in your heavenly language and it will give you confidence and strength inside your spirit that makes you able to step into a room of enemies and still keep your head cool and let the Holy Spirit give you the normal language words to say because you prayed in your heavenly language. It gives you strength. It builds you up in your spirit. We've got to go on to just want to bring you up to date with me, okay. Oh, it's going it's going much faster than Okay, Shane, are you gonna change it? So what I want to get is slide I want to get to slide seven. We're at slide seven. Okay. Yeah, it's after the next one, please. Okay, all right. It's rebuilding it. Okay. The third way that the Holy Spirit releases heavenly words in you is if you pray in your tongue, your spirit is praying because you do not understand the words that you're using, but the Holy Spirit is praying through you. There's something amazing when you start to tune into the Holy Spirit and pray, even when at the beginning you feel nothing. At the beginning you don't know how to pray. At the beginning you have got no hope of getting over this or through this. But as you begin to pray with your heavenly language, the Holy Spirit releases a flow of divine life and you begin to speak in tune with the Holy Spirit and he helps you when you're weak to do that. And in that, the Holy Spirit, who knows what is the mind of God and knows what's in your own spirit, he releases what's in your own spirit to align with the heart and the mind of God. And you, without you even knowing, when you speak those words, you pray according to the will of God. That's the third thing that he does. The fourth thing is, he allows you to sing in the spirit. We did some of that this morning. When you start doing that, it actually realigns yourself and it shifts you out of the natural into the spiritual. It's a wonderful thing that takes place when you start to praise or to bless or to sing in the spirit because it causes the whole of your being to be aligned and united in the presence of God. Your body is making the sound. Your mind is agreeing and submitting to choosing to use those heavenly words that he gives you. And your spirit releases them. Your body and your mind cooperate. Your whole being is united. It's, David uses the phrase, Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. It brings you into total unity with the Spirit of God and with the Father and the Son. These are just through using your tongue and letting the Holy Spirit 
tamed the tongue through using your heavenly words. It's amazing. Because when you do more of that, Paul actually says, he, I don't know if he's bragging or not, he says, I speak in tongues more than you all. He says, but when I'm in the public, I would rather use words that people can understand. So where does he do all the speaking of tongues? In private. Does it in private. And now and again, I'm sure he would speak and sing with the people and worship and praise and bless the Lord in tongues. But the next one is, the fifth one is, that you can keep yourself in faith and in the love of Jesus by praying in the Spirit. <laughs> I've got a little phrase that I use at the end of most WhatsApps and most um, emails that I send out to believers. Love and faith for you. What I want for you and for myself is that the love that is in Jesus and the faith that is in Jesus is transferred into every one of us to be so in the mind of Christ that we can believe the word of the Lord or the word of the Father or the word of the Spirit to us just like Jesus did. And we can love other people just like Jesus did. Love and faith. The way that you can keep yourself in it, Jude chapter 20, Jude verse 20 says, uh, Beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. What we desire in this work in this church is we desire to have a kingdom community of covenant-hearted people that are believing God and going all the way with Him. That's what we desire. How can we build that kind of a culture? How can you build a culture that attracts people in to wanting to be part of a kingdom community and have covenant heart for one another? This is one of the wonderful things, one of the most simple things that I'm experiencing here and we as a leadership, I believe, are experiencing is that we are using words of encouragement and honor to build one another up. We're speaking words of blessing. So I want to talk about blessing others with our words. In Ephesians 4.29, now this one I'm going to have to read from here because you can't see it on the screen. Let no... Oh, there's it there. Oh, it surprises me. <laughs> Today it's surprising me more than usual. Okay. Thanks, Shane. You're with me. Let no corrupt word go out of your mouth but only what is good to build up people, edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. I love that phrase. That's uh, according to the original interpretation of the original Greek language, the literal translation, that it may give grace to the hearers. To passion translation is beautiful. Never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Isn't that amazing? To think that you can use your words to be beautiful gifts that encourage other people. God-given gifts of words. Holy Spirit-given gifts of words. Spirit-inspired words that become beautiful gifts to encourage others. 
And then he says, do this by speaking words of grace to help them. He hasn't seen what the apostle heard. Speaking words of grace does not carry the same bang impact as impart grace to the other people through your words. Reinhard Bonker once said to us in the 80s, if you can see it, you can do it. And he's talking about the way that Jesus saw what the Father was doing. The second thing he said was, God's word in your mouth can be as powerful as his word in his mouth. Because when you speak the words that the Holy Spirit gives you, they can be inspired with an anointing that actually conveys not just meaning, but conveys a power to do what the Lord has said through you. That's how miracles happen. That's how healing happens. That's how imparting the Holy Spirit by laying hands on people and praying for them and speaking it into them, that's how it happens. That's when Paul comes to uh, write to the Romans. He says, I long to come to you that I may impart some spiritual gift. Or when he talks to Timothy uh, in, in his writings to Timothy, uh, I want you to stir up the gift which is in you by the laying on of my hands. It wasn't just touching him. It was speaking out the gift and the calling on Timothy. When the words are spoken that are anointed by the Holy Spirit, they carry a divine life energy in the words that comes into the soul of the person hearing it and it lifts them spiritually to connect with the purpose of God. <laughs> the wonderful thing is that you and I can participate in this. Wow. So I want to talk now about restoring family blessings. Restoring family blessings, slide 10. In Genesis chapter 49, I want to talk about a totally dysfunctional family being restored. Jacob's family, we heard so wonderfully from um, Martin uh, earlier this year, about Jacob's dysfunctional family. I'm going to touch on a few things, because at the end of his life, Jacob speaks to his family, and he goes through each one of his sons according to their birth date or their age. And he starts with Reuben in Genesis 49.3. And he says, Reuben, you are my firstborn. Now, the firstborn in Old Testament times is the one that would get a double portion of the inheritance compared to the other kids. He would also be the one that would stand in the place of the father if the father was not present. He would be the one that would represent the family instead of the father. And when the father passed on, then the, young, the oldest son would be the one that would become the head of the family. The firstborn. It means it's talking about inheritance. It's talking about inheritance. But listen what Jacob says in his prophetic blessing of his sons. He said to Reuben, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength. Talking about the fact that he'd become a father. The excellence of dignity and the excellency of power. And then he says to Reuben, you shall not excel. Because you went up to your father's bed and you defiled it. If you read the story about Reuben, you'll find that 
Rachel, the second wife of Jacob, which is really the first love that he had, and he was deceived by Laban, his father-in-law, into marrying Leah first. But Rachel then became his second wife. She couldn't have children, even though Jacob loved her the most. So Leah had all the children. She had three or four children before Rachel made a plan. Rachel's plan was she would give her handmaid, Bilhah, to Jacob so that he could have children by this surrogate mother. That's what she did. But later on in life, Reuben, the eldest of Leah's children and the eldest of Jacob's sons, he commits incest with Bilhah. Although it's not really technically incest, but he commits a family sin. Because of that, Jacob says, you lose the inheritance. You're not going to be the firstborn. You don't get the privileges of the firstborn. Then he moves on to Simeon and Levi, the second and the third sons. Simeon and Levi, instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. The Dinah incident. Dinah was a, a sister to Simeon and Levi. And they were staying in an area called Shechem. And the king of Shechem had a son that is also called Shechem. And Shechem raped Dinah. He fell in love with her, deceived her, raped her, and then came with his own father to Jacob and said, please, will you not give your daughter Dinah to me to marry? And the sons of uh, Jacob waited until Simeon and Levi, who were out in the field, came in and they talked about it. Simeon and Levi came up with a scheme. They said, according to the commandment that the Lord gave Abram and us, we cannot intermarry with your family unless all the males are circumcised. Shechem's son loved this girl so much and Shechem the father, because they were both called Shechem, he, he wanted to do everything to get Dinah for his son. So they agreed to be circumcised. And while all of the men were still bleeding, Simeon and Levi took swords and killed all the men in the city. God, through Jacob, said these words. Cursed be their anger. It is fierce. And their wrath is fierce, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. We could talk more about that, but we haven't got time. What a dysfunctional family. How curses compare to blessings. Let's go to the next slide. Then Jacob turns to Judah. Judah is his fourth son by Leah. And he says, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down. Your father's children shall bow down. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Who remembers that phrase? That's the phrase of the Messiah. Basically what Jacob is doing is he's telling Judah the Messiah is going to come from Judah's descendants. But Judah was also not without a problem. Because what happened with him was that he had two sons. Can't remember the names now. His first and his second son. The first was so wicked that the scripture says God killed him. 
So then the custom in those families was that if a widow was left in the family and there was another brother, the, the brother should marry her, take her as a second wife and raise seed or descendants to his brother's name. And that didn't work, so the guy was killed by God. The two sons killed by God. This is the Old Testament, by the way. Okay? Not the New Testament. It's the Old Testament. Okay? So what, Jay, what Judah did was he spoke to Tamar, the widow, who's been widowed twice now. And he says, please wait for my third son, and I'll get him to marry you. And it seems that Judah forgot about this. Because Samuel, Tamar, was sent back, Tamar was sent back to her father's house and was waiting and was waiting and was waiting. And then the next thing that happened was that Judah's own wife, Shua, died. So Judah went out to his flocks and he came across the city and somebody said to Tamar, your father-in-law is here. So she dressed up as a harlot and she went and deceived him. And then... He made love to her. She conceived twins. The news comes back to Judah, and Judah says, let me fix this. Who has done this to my daughter-in-law? But what this girl had done, she was very wise. She didn't want payment. She just wanted a pledge. She asked for a cloak and something else from Judah when she had this sexual encounter with him, and she kept them. <laughs> And that day when Judah came to confront her, she said, by the hand of the man that left these with me, am I with child? And then he realized what it was. Judah did an honorable thing. He took her into his household, and he accepted those children as his own children, and he never had sexual relationships with her again, again but he honored her. The Lord looks at that and sees mercy, and sees forgiveness, and sees restoration. Judah was not disqualified because of his heart, because of his heart of dealing with his own sins. But listen to this. Joseph, the next one. Next slide, please. After Jacob and his sons had been taken into Egypt, where, where uh, Joseph had become the second only to Pharaoh, at the end of his life, he asked to see Joseph's sons. So when, jo when Joseph brings, brings his sons to Jacob, he says, who are these? He says, these are my sons. And he said, I will bless them. We're talking about words of blessing. The words that the Lord gave Jacob over Judah were words of blessing. They were words that came to pass generations later. Words of blessing. You're all wondering where I'm going with this. I can see the guys in the front row. Where is this going to? You're totally. <laughs> it's got a very good ending. It's got a very good ending. Okay. So Joseph took his sons, and knowing that this principle of the firstborn, Ephraim was, um, Manasseh was Joseph's firstborn son. He brings him with his right hand, and switches him to the left so that he will be standing in front of the right hand of Jacob. And he switches Ephraim to the left hand so that 
that he would be under the left hand of Jacob because he wanted the firstborn's blessing to go to Manasseh. So, when Jacob, who's dim in his eyesight, knows this is what Joseph would do, he crosses his hands knowingly and he puts his right hand on the younger son and he blesses him and gives him greater authority than his older son or his older brother Manasseh. But let's look at the meaning of their names. Will you turn it over to the next slide, please? Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh because the name means God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the second son he called Ephraim because he says, God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now, in Joseph's mind, he wanted Manasseh to receive the firstborn blessing. But Jacob, guided by God, switched his hands over and gave the firstborn blessing to Ephraim. The significance is this. God will exalt people who don't just live according to forgetting their poverty and forgetting their difficulties and forgetting their, um, their uh, fire and the turmoil that they've been through because now they're in a comfort zone. God wants to make you comfort move into a new level where you become fruitful even in a place of affliction. He doesn't want you to just hope for forgetting the past or forgetting the pain or forgetting the problems. He wants you to become a person who is fruitful in the place of your affliction. God did that and Ephraim was promoted so that throughout the whole of Israel they used the phrase, phrase Ephraim and Manasseh, not Manasseh and Ephraim. God wants to do that for families here. Now I want to apply this to us. Let's uh, go to the next slide, please. It's time in the New Testament that we understood that God's restoration program is getting us into a place where we can bring all things into the Lord Jesus, where the administration of the fullness of times brings unity in the whole of heaven and earth. Some people believe that's going to happen only after Jesus uh, returns to the earth, and I believe that that's true, that it will only be complete when Jesus returns. But the church has got to start ministering more than just being a minister of reconciliation, which is 2 Corinthians 5. We've got to be ministers of restoration, and Isaiah's prophesying that there. We know that in this church there's been restoration. Now I want to move back before I complete that. I want to move back to the fact that the way that Jacob prayed over his children is the way that you and I can open up blessings for our next generation and for our wives or for our husbands if we learn to use our words of blessing to release it into the, the, the loved ones. If we learn how to speak words of blessing, we're going to unlock things. I'll give you an illustration. I have three sons. The eldest, Brett, I think he's now 52. He's not 50 yet. I'm arguing with my conscience here. My conscience is arguing. <laughs> he's around 50. He's around 50. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm 72 and he was born when I was 23. So he's 49. <laughs> 
Oh, my conscience was right every time. <laughs> and then the youngest, the youngest is now just, uh, I think it's just over 40. Um, the middle one is here in, in Cape Town. The eldest is in Minneapolis. And the youngest one is in Charlotte, North Carolina. <clears throat> my eldest son ran to escape from the crime in Velta Freedom Park in the 90s. And he emigrated to the States. And he went there on a contract where he was working for an agent that was actually collecting more money from the bank than he was, she was paying him. But he came back to visit us one holiday. And I remember in our house uh, on Hillside Road, Fishhook, uh, we, it was a Christmas lunch. Obviously, it's a good time for family to get together for Christmas. They came with their two boys. And we sat around the Christmas table for having a Christmas lunch, and John and Shirley Knight were here with us at the time. And so we sat down at half past 12, and we didn't get up until half past five. And the reason was, after we'd had an amazing lunch, an amazing fun time chatting to each other, Brett said, Dad, I'd like you to release my inheritance to me. So that, of course, put me into prophetic mode, okay? Switch over. And we started to pray, and John and Shirley and Dawn and I, we prayed over them and began to release what the Holy Spirit gave me for the sons like Jacob did for his sons. All three of them. I'm only going to be bragging about the first one. Okay, I'll leave the other two because I can brag equally about those as I do about the first. Brett never told me until he came here as a missionary 12 years later. He'd resigned his position at the bank of Wells Fargo headquarters in Minneapolis. And he came to uh, Cape Town on his way for a missionary project 18 months in Kenya. He never told me that he became senior vice president of Wells Fargo Bank. I'm talking about a guy that when he was in Standard 8, we walked along Shelley Beach and I said, what do you want to do with your life? It, time goes fast now, and you're soon going to be riding matric. What do you want to do? He said, I've got no idea. I just don't want to go to the army. In those days, you know, the Minister of Defense would send you a telegram, and you'd have to go and report to the army for two months, uh, two years. He said, oh, that's what. So I said, listen, I haven't got the money to send you to university, but what you've got to do is you've got to study. He got a bursary, and he actually was accepted, and he qualified as a senior primary school teacher with a diploma, not even a degree. Not even a degree. Now, to me as an engineer that wants all my sons to be an engineer, this was a, a real stretch for me. But I want to tell you, when we started visiting him over there in Minneapolis, he said, Dad, they pay you so much money you can't even spend it all. I said, what on earth are you doing? Well, he, he went into IT and the Lord promoted him IT. I want to tell you this, that the prophecies that we'd spoken around that Christmas lunch table started to come to pass in their lives, and it was done in their own lives, following the Lord prophetically in business. The other ones in Cape Town City for the last seven years as a consultant, prophetically sorting out issues for Patricia DeLille personally, and now for the rest of the guys. God's promoted him. God's promoted the other one. I had no finances to send them to university. I paid for my own way to university. I just had to believe. But I want to tell you that because of the blessing, they were all serving the Lord. They already had our values. They already had our faith. They already had our love for the Lord. But God 
promotes them. I want to tell you, if you're sitting here and you're disappointed with your families, I want you to notice something in Isaiah's scripture. Look at this. They shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall re-raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. There are families here in South Africa that for generations they've been living in desolation because they did not have the blessing of the covenant of, God, covenant of God in their lives, and they didn't know how to get it. And I want to tell you that many Christians, even sitting in this room, that didn't have that disadvantaged background, still don't know how to release the inheritance of God's purposes into your life, and don't know that the scrolls in heaven that Sheldon spoke about over the children that were dedicated this morning, that there's a plan that God's got for your life that he wants to unlock for you as you walk here. You don't have to wait till the rapture to get into glory. You don't have to wait for the return of Jesus to get into glory. You don't have to wait. You can actually unlock it as you become a prophetic people that believes when the Lord gives the word to you, when you speak it out with faith, believing in your heart, that it can actually change circumstances in the way forward. So I want to tell you, let's move to the next slide. It is our responsibility as fathers and mothers to raise up our children with discipline and bring them into the counsel that brings the revelation of our Lord. Those are the words of Paul. The counsel that brings the revelation of our Lord. I, I, there's very little, there's very little said about the counsel and might, the spirit of counsel and might. We're talking about Isaiah chapter 11. It's talking about the spirit of the Lord will be upon him. And he says the spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, spirit of fear, knowledge and fear of the Lord. The spirit of counsel and might is referred to here because what your children need is the counsel of the Lord that gives us authority and gives them authority. The word might in the Old Testament is not just big army, bigger weapons, bigger horses, bigger chariots. That's not might. Might is what God released in David's armies where they could slay 600 uh, Philistines with just one spear or with an ox goat. <laughs> when, that, was, that was in Judges and Jehu. When God gives might to his people, he just tells them what to do. They do it obediently, and it gives authority to them to do supernatural things. Now, I'm, I wanted to stretch your expectations because this principle that we're talking about today is so simple. Let's stop using our words to pull people down and to criticize and to focus on what God is not doing. All right? But let's focus on what God has promised to do. And let's focus on what God is doing in the church. Because if we do that, we're going to release the flow of blessing. It's going to increase. And I want to pray for you that the Lord will turn this around in your life. Look at what he says. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. This is another verse from Isaiah. And great shall be the peace of your children. Families have the responsibility under Christ to raise godly children because that's the way that you change a community. You change a community with godly families. 
the Western world has become so broken down in its family structure and the nuclear family and not honoring society and the networks of Christianity. But God is saying, I want to restore that, to restore the church and to restore the city by restoring families. And for those that are here that have got broken families, God wants to restore you where you're at because even though there was a dysfunctional family in Jacob's life, it doesn't have to roll over and hold you back in this covenant of grace, in this time of the new covenant that is sealed and, and, and settled for us in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. You and I are brought into the covenant community where the favor of God, the presence of God is waiting to show himself strong on your behalf if you just align yourself with like Judah did. Let's stand. I just want to speak to people that feel that they've had a blockage in their life and you do not know what it is to have your speech bring blessing. When you speak, you find it difficult to switch over and to release blessing and even to pray in such a way that you can expect the blessing of God. I want you to know that even though your tongue may have talked you into difficulties, your tongue may have talked you into defeat, your tongue may have talked you into depression, your tongue may have taught you into, talked you into, uh, uh, into captivity. I want you to know the Holy Spirit is the one that can change that. The Holy Spirit can change your language by giving you heavenly words. If your life is not yet fulfilled and your expectations and your hopes are not yet fulfilled, what are you doing to align yourself with the way God thinks about you and start speaking in agreement with what he says about you? That you are blessed. And then use your words to bless others. Start by, when you ride down when you ride down the road, if the Holy Spirit brings something into your mind, if it be a, a friend that you've got to pray for, pray blessing over them. Or you see somebody down the side of the road that's walking or driving there, just bless them. Pray blessing over them, even though you may never, ever meet them. There have been times when I've had words of knowledge about people in the next car, and I pray healing for them. I don't know. I just do it. There's, there's times when you, you can need to just develop that skill of hearing God and releasing blessing, but having a good habit of not speaking bad words in any company because the tongue is your rudder that will determine where your ship goes. I always use a phrase, you do not walk by faith on your feet. You walk by faith on your tongue. That's a hard one to get around, isn't it? That's a very difficult one. But your walk of faith is dependent on your tongue. Your walk of faith is dependent on your tongue. I want to pray for those people that would like to shift because this is how we can encourage and build a culture that is kingdom and, com and community. I want you to do this. I want you to lift your heart to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to have a change by the Holy Spirit 
If, you're not, if you haven't yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is in this meeting today. The Holy Spirit wants to touch you if you've never received that. If you've never received that, it'll change the way that you use your tongue. But even those of us that have not yet got into this place of victorious lifestyle by blessing others with our words and blessing our own future, don't curse the job that you've got. Don't speak ill of the provision of the Lord through the job that you've got. Don't speak ill of your employers. Don't speak ill of your family or of your relatives. Or don't speak ill of them. Rather, when you hear something contrary to what the normal trend is, speak blessing. Pray blessing. If you don't know how to pray, pray in tongues. Oh, it's a habit of speaking blessing, speaking life into situations, speaking faith and speaking love into situations. We need that manifestation of the presence of God every day and the way to do it is to tame the tongue. Okay, if you want that, I want you to lift your hands to the Lord and I'll just pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to help these dear people with the Spirit of God that their mouths and their tongues can become a source of blessing, a source of life a fountain of love and a fountain of faith, that they can speak to circumstances with an attitude of trusting you and knowing you that you are here to change even the people that we don't like. Lord, I pray that you'll come and you'll lift every person's expectation through the revelation of the fact that they can bless their families even though the last generation or the previous few generations were not blessed. They can bless their families. And the curse ends here because what we do here determines what happens hereafter. And I say thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that by the blood of Jesus Christ we've been redeemed to be filled with the Spirit and by the Holy Spirit our tongues can be tamed, and I pray that you'll help us, giving us the spirit of faith to speak in faith, and the spirit of love to speak in love, and the spirit will teach us how to speak as it gives us heavenly words. I ask you for that in the precious name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. And then I just want to ask if there are any people that have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want while the other people leave, I want you to come forward for prayer for that. But I'm going to hand back to Errol right now. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Amen. This evening we're meeting at 6 o'clock, and God has really spoken to us as men also and what God is doing to restore families. God bless you. Have a good week. Enjoy your day today. And please forget for those, uh, don't forget those coming to Wild at Heart. Come through the main uh, business park entrance and park on this side. And we'll meet with you this evening at 6 o'clock. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon and week.